What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a shooter who's in love with the whole process of being a rifleman. Whether you're a professional sniper, a precision rifle competitor, a hardcore hunter, or a dedicated long-range shooting enthusiast, this podcast is all about the commitment to the craft. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Kalen, and I am back. Man, it's been a pretty wild last few months, and my sole focus has largely been on my family. We navigated some really difficult times this uh, past summer, but nonetheless, I'm super pumped to be back in the saddle with my mind now having some more capacity to get back to the things in life that truly bring me joy. With that being said, I had a great catch-up conversation with Phil, and we talked about uh, his hunt so far this season, some of the things that we're seeing trending in the space of precision rifle nowadays. And uh, I talked to Phil a little bit about some of my upcoming uh, personal goals for the, uh, for the season. So um, without further delay, I hope all of you enjoy the episode and know that we're super stoked to have all of you guys as listeners. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy the show. So, okay, so you got your back, the back wall of your studio, you, that way you can split it into two different setups for different things. Yeah, essentially I can split it into, uh, one, two, three, four, five different setups. Um, all black wall, uh, black, right, black, left, uh, all white wall, this corner. And then, uh, the, I'm going to have it give me like my gear slash charging station wall. Um, Mm mm-hmm is could be could be a a section as well so yeah i I just i was going through all the craziness that's been happening in my life i was in the last couple months i decided that i needed some other way to engage my mind so i decided to try my hand at a little cabinet making nice i made myself this this little um i just needed to do something different you know, I needed to do something different with my mind and, um, I wanted to do, uh, work with my hands a little bit and I'm not really familiar with working with wood. And I built this little charger charging station wall cabinet, and I'm going to build out the side of the, the side of the gear wall with a couple of more boxes for, uh, packs and just to organize things a little bit better and get things up off the ground. And I think I'm going to use, um, French cleats. So that way, if we, um, you know, want to rearrange things, you can just pick the things up and, and move them to different spots, which is kind of cool. And, uh, for one, we relocate too. So, uh, that way I can like still have storage and it's modular and I can bring it with you. You know, you, you, you can say, okay, I'm going to build this little bin for, for packs. And I want to throw like three or four packs in there that I use all the time, that type of thing, or like packs for the family. Hell yeah. So that way it's like just organized. So Because if you think about it, the easier it is to get at things that you need, the, the more you are inclined to go do that activity, right? If your shit is constantly buried in a corner or, you know, all tucked away and hard to get to, you're way less, you know, it's, it's way less of a possibility that you're actually going to use it. So that's my thought process behind it anyways. And then that whole wall can then be, um, another studio setup, right? With just a different background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's funny that you say that it's one of the things that I've been really trying to pay attention to recently is just making all my shit more organized, you know? Um, especially now that I haven't really been traveling for, uh, for work. Um, I've been able to 
more or less keep a lot of my stuff organized. I mean, it was hunting season. Um, and I kind of want to talk about that as we go through our podcast, but you know, when, when you get back from a trip, especially if you plan on punching out a few more times, it's hard to pack everything up. You know, you want everything Mm -hmm. like easily accessible. Um, so, uh, just the other Sunday, uh, Claire and I went through and, and pretty much cleaned out the whole garage. Cause I mean, throughout when hunting season started to about last that Sunday, I mean, there was just shit all over. I didn't even park my truck inside <laughs> because, uh, there's sleeping bags, uh, you know, freaking boots, uh, rifles, just like random miscellaneous gear that was tucked away, you know, just laying all over the floor. And so if I was going on a real quick day trip, I just grabbed what I needed and threw it in that, um, that approach. Uh, which bag is that? It's a new uh, uh, Stone Glacier bag with the spotting scope um, on the outside, dude. That bag is sick, especially oh. for a for a little yeah, day. You yeah, like for that a, one? yeah, for a day. They pack the uh, the little tripod caddy and the spotting scope accessory. It's just super clutch to be able to quickly uh, grab something. Um, but yeah, and and just like having everything organized in your life just seems so. It's just like so refreshing, right? Um, (laughs) one of the things I've been like really looking at lately too, on my like speeds are just like clean setups, just like simple, effective, right. Um, which if I go to my reloading bunch, it doesn't look anything like that at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just, I think it's like, it just makes things easier for you to do. Gives things, gives you more access. Um, and like, you know, if it takes you 15 minutes to get ready to do a job because you're trying to find all the tools, you know, if it takes you that much time to like set up to do a job, then you might want to think about, okay, well, how often do I do that job? Well, for us, we reload all the time. Like if I'm, if you, you know exactly how it is, if you slack, you don't have, now you're behind a power curve and you can't go do the things that you want to do because now I have to go make that time up. So you should be doing it all the time, right? Especially as much as, uh, as we shoot in terms of like demonstrations for classes, <clears throat> um, you know, training ourselves, like you shoot a lot. So, but if you're constantly having to like have this real tiny space or, or something that's, you know, not really, um, ideal for setting up really quickly and, and getting the job done, it just makes getting the job done that much harder. So like cleaning out my shop and making sure that the reloading room is in, um, you know, as streamlined of a process as possible with all of my, you know, everything is right there, ready to go. It just makes life that much easier. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude. So, um, one of the things that, uh, Claire and I were talking about last night, we were just kind of, um, just chit chatting about kind of my time in in the Marine Corps. And, um, I guess one of the things that I have, I don't know if I take it for granted, but it's been so long ago that it, I, it's, it's definitely hard to think that I even did that in this lifetime. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, like we're talking crazier, we were talking about the roles of being a chief scout. Right. And, and essentially what I was trying to explain to her is like, okay, you've got the platoon commander, platoon sergeant, and then the chief scout. Um, and you know, chief scout is in charge of all training for, you know, um, 
the Marines of the platoon to get ready for combat and for, for sniper school. And the platoon sergeant is just there. A good platoon, platoon sergeant is there. It's just to kind of oversee everything and make sure that, you know, the, the chief scout's not fucking driving the train and, and, uh, you know, everyone's sticking the dirt. Right. Uh, and then obviously right. the most, he can't out, he can't, he can't outrun the log train. That's right. Um, and then, you know, there'd be there as a, a, a buffer between, uh, command and the platoon, which, um, saw, uh, you know, mass, mass Sergeant Sullivan, um, Gunny at the time was really great at. And, and, um, one of the things that I did appreciate about him was that he let me essentially drive the ship. Um, and when it came down to, you know, putting training together and stuff like that, it was, it was, it was, uh, essentially everything that, um, I had put together, you know, with obviously his little bit of guidance and, and whatnot and left and right lateral limits. And so as we were talking about, um, like how training was set up, she was like really interested in the details. And, uh, like, I was like, I was like pulling shit out of my, not out of my ass, but like stuff that I completely forgot that we had to coordinate, you know? So like we had those act that the five, uh, thing acronym was like bullets, band-aids, beans, uh, batteries and bad guys. Right. I, I just, I just gave that yeah. to her as like a, just a, a basic understanding. But you know, when you're talking about like administrative logistics, chow, like, Hey, this is, you know, when you're creating an LOI, LOI stands for letter of instruction for like a stock package. It's like, Hey, what do we need to go out for four days? Right. This is how many Marines we're taking. This is what, uh, amount of packs that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how much chow we need for, you know, four days for three chows per, per Marine. And, um, when we went on a couple hunting trips, she, it made sense to her because one of the things, and I mean, I said, I learned this from you, but one of the things that she appreciated of me was the fact that like, I was so detailed with my packing list for going out to the country because <laughs> <laughs> it was so methodical. Right. And she's like, I see where you get it from, but I, I feel like a lot of it, in preparation for the backcountry, not only obviously that that I take from the Marine Corps, but I definitely uh, took from you during our few times that we went out uh, on my bear hunts, right? Um, so like the the kit bags full of chow, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I would have never known to put all like a day worth of bag and calories in just one bag, so that when you set a base camp, you can just you know stash three, you know, if you're out there for four days, stash three and then take one with you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Uh, but just having a, a system was, was nice. Um, that, that Claire was able to, to see, um, and it's like, well, did I get that from the Marine Corps? I got a, you know, a little bit from, from K- obviously watching Kalen and stuff like that. Well, and I, and I learned that from, you know, obviously we have to be pretty organized almost to a, I wouldn't say to a fault in that organization, but like in, in in our teams everybody has to know where everything is in everybody else's gear so that way if you need to get it you just know where to go and there's so in that purpose or that point that it's that's very intentional and beneficial but then i started to i tried to carry that over into uh like backcountry hunting and i and it it was not the best it ended up for me not being the best um and the guy uh my backcountry hunting mentor here in Washington is his name is Luke, um, Luke Carrick. And he taught me a lot about just, you know, um, 
how to just prep your gear for the next day. And so I just kind of watch how he did his thing because he moved with ruthless efficiency, um, as a, as a hunting guide. And so I just really quickly picked up on like, okay, how, how is he doing this? And I can watch how, um, the way that I learn is for me is I have to watch it. And if I can watch it be done, then I visualize myself doing it and then I do it and it's boom, it's, it's there. And so that's how I learned how to do that. And, and it just ended up turning into uh, being from going hyper-organized to being a freaking stuff monster, right? <laughs> I'm just going to stuff shit into my bag. I like bags that have one big open cavern and I just stuff shit in there. And, you know, when you, when you're first packed, you know, to pack in, obviously your sleeping bag is compartmentalized, your, um, your, uh, your tent and, and your chow bags and all that stuff is fairly compartmentalized and that's where the bulk of your weight is. And then, you know, that makes your, that makes packing your bag, uh, more balanced that much easier because you can put all that stuff where it needs to be and hold it in place by stuff and clothes and other things around it. And, and it makes your bag you actually end up fitting more stuff in there than you would if it was like all hyper-organized. Man, so one of the things that I definitely like grew appreciation for uh, is just the, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like technology of packs or just the way pack designs is, is but like, um, again, as we were going through the uh, gear organization um, of the garage, like I, I, I had a bunch of my old packs um, my, my, my original Alice pack that I got modded out in Oceanside. Uh, I've got a couple of Everly stocks, uh, some mystery ranches. Um, I probably have, and I, you, you, you definitely beat me in this, in this, uh, department, but I probably have like three grand worth of just packs that I've, you know, accumulated through, throughout the, my time in the Marine Corps. And then, and then now, yeah. um, but you know, like fitting the stone glacier pack to me and, um, and then being able to have a pack specific for, Hey, a day hunt or, um, you know, a three to five day trip has been just super nice. Right. Um, and just the comfort of, and understanding how to take that in or take the, uh, pack, <clears throat> load it to your waist and, you know, the, uh, load straps and, um, uh, to fit it so that, you know, you're hiking with the most efficiency that you're not burning your shoulders out. You're not burning your, your, your waist out, your lower back out. Um, so that's one of the things that I noticed, you know, especially when I was like, you know, kind of, um, pulling all that gear out and I was going to put it in storage, you know, I put my Alice pack on <laughs> real quick with no weight on it. And it was just like, how the hell did I manage to freaking carry this thing for 11 years? It's freaking outrageous you know and then having a t-bone yeah, uh you know t-bone sniper rifle I mean, where like, like oh no it's well you think about that and then you put that pack on and you're and you go dude if i had to do a, like a big burly pack out with like 140 pounds on my back like not being able to put that weight on your hips that's straight up just you know it's brutal it's brutal on your body it's brutal on your shoulders and just the the modernization of the of the of the equipment makes things that much easier. Yeah, modernization of equipment for both. I mean, but for both packs and and layers, uh, tripods, rifles. I mean, 
Um, I, I was carrying the, the modern day hunter out there. Uh, and I, that thing, even with bipods and a sling weighs right at 12 pounds, which is nice. Um, and then, you know, a spotting scope, uh, a, the ascend one, four tripod. Uh, and then, you know, if we went on a multi-day hunt, I took the uh, sleeping system and, uh, that, that, uh, tent, um, the, uh, uh, octo tent Hildenberg. The acto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, acto. yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'll tell you what, two people <laughs> inside the main compartment is no bueno. <laughs> oh no, no. Like, did, you're talking about like the actual inner tent itself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think, it's too small. um, so we tried it. Claire and I tried it, uh, before I, I uh, ended up getting a, a two person stone glacier tent that's on the way actually. Um, we tried it for one night and we even had cloud with us. And he clouds just stayed in the vestibule, which is, which is, uh, which was fine. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, two people in the main tent. No, never again. Oh, so, so you didn't, was the weather not good to pull that inner tent out and just use the, the outer tent? Yeah. I, and we could have just used the outer shell, but I was being stubborn and, um, we just decided to try to sleep in the, in the, in the main, main one. I left the door open, um, but still wasn't, wasn't enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's, that tent is tight for just a single person, especially if it's cold outside and you got a lot of warm, you know, or, you know, warming layers, that tent gets tight really fast. Um, but it was my go-to for a long time. Um, it's super efficient. It's very lightweight and it, um, it actually will warm up inside that inner tent, uh, the yellow portion, like it'll usually just warm up in there, you know, a good five, five to eight degrees, just enough, um, to make it a little bit more pleasant in the morning when you're waking up, but no, it's a good tent. It's been through some seriously brutal weather. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I, uh, again, I, I, I just, when I get into something, I just go straight for like, Hey, let's not fuck around. Uh, so I remember asking, <laughs> I remember asking you like, Hey, what, what tent, uh, do you recommend? And I mean, I think that's, uh, year three now that, that it's been on. Um, it's probably still only been on a handful of hunts, but I'm excited to, uh, hopefully use it more and, and excited to use now that Claire, Claire really loves going out, um, uh, hunting with me. So I, I kind of have a, a new hunting partner, um, out here. That's awesome. But, man. Uh, we ended up getting that stone glacier two man tent. So I'm excited to, to try that out. And especially, I think, um, doing some research on it and watching some videos, there's like different configurations that they, that you can do with that, especially if it's mm-hmm. like a uh, different time of the year that you're hunting, uh, early season hunts, late season hunts and stuff like that. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> pardon me, the, the you, same thing, you can take the inner out, uh, that you can take the inner liner of that tent out and then you can use it as just a, a, a rain fly in configuration, but you have to have, you have to have a footprint for that because that's how like the, the legs maintain the shape of the dome. But, um, that thing's pretty, and it's, it's a very stout tent in terms of like the strength and and the construction. I've had that tent in some pretty gnarly winds and it, and it does, it does really, really well. Um, the other one that's a, that's a good one to have, they just came out with a single person version of that tent. So it's a little bit more narrow. Um, I saw it while we were there for uh, the demo jump that we did. 
uh, in August. And it's, um, it's a true one person tent. Uh, and I kind of look at the, the skyscraper two as it's a two person summertime tent, but it's tight, man. Like it's tight in there with two people. And especially if it's cold and you got gear, um, <clears throat> you know, it's going to get really, really tight really fast. But the, uh, the other one that, that I've used from them is the sky air, the, the small tarp tent, which, um, that's an awesome, awesome early season shelter. And I actually took that tent to the Tetons, um, on that trip. And there was one night that it got really, really windy and the wind started to come up underneath the, the edges of that thing. And it got a little chilly, but other than that, man, that was a fantastic little, uh, super lightweight shelter that you pitch with a, uh, with a trekking pole. Um, or you could just get a, you know, carve a stick and, and use it and use a stick as the, as the main apex, but that's a good little tent. And, um, you can get a mesh liner for it if it's buggy. And, uh, that's going to be my go-to for, you know, from here on out for like an early, like a summer and an early season tent. Man. So what I've been like eager to tell you about is so far my, my, uh, 2022 hunting season. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've, caught up but uh so i went out early uh september to help a buddy out actually my really good friend here who's the um uh, federal agent for um u.s fish and wildlife he does all the grizzly bear uh, um investigations and stuff like that so he the one yeah the, that's the, badass the most recent one with the two college kids uh he went out um to uh check out <laughs> Dude, that that story's gnarly, man. I, it's that, that super kid's got, gnarly. That, kid, that, that kid's got some balls. <laughs> well, all these all of these grizzly bear stories are gnarly, man. Yeah. It's um but uh so we went out on his archery hunt. He drew a special unit tag, and so uh, I, I just went out with him to scout, and that was a super cool experience to see and hear, you know, bulls bugling and, and uh hollering and stuff like that. Of course, I'm super deaf, um, and uh, I've got I've got bad tinnitus that I can I can really now like. It, it's more apparent, especially recently that I've been hunting a lot because of how quiet it is, and that's all I hear mm. is that ringing. Uh, so make sure you wear ear pro, guys. Um, but yeah, so, um, but I was able to like pick them up finally at like six seven hundred, where it's like you know the people that we were hunting with. Um, we're able to pick out their bugles, the elk bugles, you know, 15 to a mile sometimes. Um, but yeah, a long ways out. Just to, just to hear them call um, was a super gnarly experience. Makes me want to pick up a bow next year. Um, but, you know, fast forward to opening the first week of October. Um, I went out, pushed out on my first elk hunt with Clayton. And um, we saw a 5x6 uh, within like the first two hours of the hunt and um Man. and guess what that was the only thing i saw the rest of the fucking season <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and happens. we went out we went out five times so this is like straight 180 from my elk hunt experience last year you know when i drew that tag and, and clayton took me out on his on his horses um dude i was and i was like persistent you know we went to different areas um so we punched punched out on day trips and, and and real quick weekend trips, 
And uh, I probably covered probably over 25 miles. And um, the weather was just super gnarly. I mean, just super warm out here. We didn't have horses. And, um, you know, what was cool about Clayton hunting with him is, like, he was super uh, cautious about making sure that, like, hey, you know, like, telling me, like, hey, if you want to go higher, just keep in mind, if we kill a bull up there, you're probably going to waste a lot of meat because, you know, by the time you, you quarter it out, you take the first load out, you're going to be, we're going to be smoke checked. And then we're going to have to come back out the next day or whatever with the temperatures being hot, you know? So yep. he was super mindful <clears throat> of that, which was awesome, you know, cause, um, obviously if I didn't think about that, I would just be thinking about, okay, I just want to kill a bull, you know, uh, and not thinking right. about the, uh, repercussions of like, Hey, I got to get that meat out of there. Um, especially with, um, it only being us two, sometimes maybe a third person. And we're not sure if we're able to get help if we do end up killing something. Um, yep. cause we were easily four miles into each of the back countries that we, we pushed out of. Yeah. That makes things that, that definitely changes perspective on everything. Right. So those are considerations that, um, if you don't have a mentor there, like, you know, or a coach to, to say, Hey, you might want to think about this. You can get so target fixated, like you're talking about and get yourself into a situation where you're like, okay, cool. I got this thing killed. And you're like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. This is not a good, this is not a good idea. Or I should have thought this through a little bit, a little bit deeper. Um, and yeah, four miles into the backcountry with two dudes um, and an elk, um, that gets real fast, especially if it's hot out. And you guys are saying it's, dude, we had a super hot autumn here too, man. It was, it was over 85 degrees on my birthday, which is bananas. Um, so I can only imagine you guys were kind of experiencing a little bit of the same thing. Yeah, it was, it was weird, you know, cause when I did my elk hunt last year, I mean, we got lucky. And so like the week that I went out, we got snow. Um, and I mean, it was cold for that week that I was hunting. Um, and then it eventually warmed up last year, but like this year, uh, it, the, the snow did come like in maybe early mid September, um, but it hasn't shown up since. And, um, and because we didn't have horses, you know, we didn't want to, uh, try to go up any higher and, and stuff like that. So, um, again, we were just pushing out on, um, uh, uh, foot patrols. Um, and, uh, like I said, that, that five by six that we saw on day one, um, started looking really good toward the very end of our last push because <laughs> the season sure. ends for general, you know, 21st, but, um, you know, by, by, by the very end there, I was just, I was just, I was just really glad to have experienced, um, the, the second, the opposite side of the spectrum of hunting. You know what I mean? Cause there was definitely mm -hmm. times I got demoralized, right? You go out there, you, you hike 10 oh, yeah. miles and not see a fucking thing. Um, you know, mm -hmm. saw some does. Uh, I mean, you couldn't even, we didn't even see cows. Um, so, um, but like I was, uh, I was, uh, persistent and, um, it just wasn't my year. Right. Um, but I guess, you know, that's yeah. like, that's hunting, right. Um, it is. And I, and, and so people, it, it depends on how, I think it depends on how you are raised hunting. Um, you know, every, I think people's perception of hunting is different based upon like, you know, how you were raised and where, where you were raised and what do, 
what do the hunting opportunities look like where you were where you were raised in uh, or learned how to hunt and um that varies greatly you know uh, people that live in texas there's so there's so many opportunities um you know or um if you have a lease or something to that effect but if you're out west and you're doing nothing but hunting public land and you haven't really understood uh, how to get into the backcountry and you're competing with uh, with a lot of other hunters you have to learn you have to learn the environment and you have to learn what the animals do so that way you can figure it out and go okay what do these animals do when they're under pressure because i'm going to have a buttload of hunters out here and their habits aren't going to be the same as they are when i was out doing a backpacking trip in the summertime and glassing up all these all these elk in this beautiful green basin well they're not they're not going to be there in that beautiful green basin come hunting season because everybody else knows they're going to be there and they're going to there's going to be a lot of pressure so and then you have to like learn okay well where did they go where did they where did the animals go did they go into the dark timber did they go over into another basin that's more difficult to get to and so that just takes a lot of time to learn where the animals go i mean i have friends here in in washington where um they all they all uh hunt because you have to select your tag or your your weapon here in washington state so you have to pick whether you want modern firearm muzzle loader or archery and so um if you pick or you can buy a multi you can put in to to you can put in for a lottery to get a multi multi-weapon multi-season tag um which a lot of people do as well because for elk season here in washington the best season for general is muzzle loader and it's spike only um, but it's a little bit later in the season and, um, you just have better opportunities. And so, um, these guys get, they kill spikes every year. They have a, they have a camp of like eight guys and they kill eight spikes every single year. And they just, they, because they're longtime locals, they've, they've, they grew up here and they know exactly what the elk do when there's pressure and they know they've got to just figure it out. And so, that takes a long time to figure that out. When you move to a new area, um, you, we kind of have to expect that it's going to take us, you know, years to build up that understanding of the environment. Yeah. It's crazy that like you have, I mean, I guess one thing that I definitely could alleviated was, um, going out and, and, uh, taking the summer to, uh, to scout out different areas and to actually get in better shape. One of the things that um, by the, toward that very end of my hunting season, um, I was in super good shape because we were just hiking our ass off everywhere. But at first, oh my God, I got wrecked after our first, after our first day, um, pushing out there (laughs) and, uh, it just happens, right? You know, you don't, you, uh, with our, uh, summer, uh, this past summer, uh, being super busy. Um, but next year I want to make it definitely a, a, an effort to check out the places that we went through this year that are easily accessible. Um, very, very low, uh, population of grizz, be able to take Zoe and, and, and the dogs, um, and just to stay, stay in better shape. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. because I, I know I could have covered more ground, uh, the first couple hunts, uh, when I had, I, I think there was more opportunity because it was still colder, um, in early October. Um, then I'd say mid October to, to the 21st. And, uh, I know I could have covered more ground if I was, I was in better shape. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are all, those are all, 
you know, points of consideration. <clears throat> and then, you know, you add on packing an animal out, you know, at the end of that, that, that becomes a, that becomes a huge event very quickly. And you, you kind of have to have those crazy ass, oh my God, what did I do experiences? So that way, <laughs> that way you can learn from them and, you know, and enjoy the suffering. Um, because, you know, I've learned, I've learned some hard lessons of, of saying, yeah, that, that sounded like a good idea at the time, but you know, I'm fucking nine hours into this thing right now. <laughs> it's time for it to be over with. But, um, so that's sometimes what you have to do, especially if you're hunting in those earlier seasons with the warmer weather. Um, and you don't have the, the opportunity to get that meat cooled off super fast. That that's a huge, um, I know for a fact, like when Luke uh, has taken people hunting, especially for early archery elk hunts, he's like, look, you know, you have to have a packer on standby in order for us to do this. You have to have a packer on standby. Uh, after like, I'd say like my third elk trip, um, we decided to just go chase antelope because I had a uh, antelope tag um, for the for the area. So we ended up spending a day um, chasing uh, chasing goats, which is antelope hunting is always a is always a fun um, change of pace. You, you've been goat hunting, yeah? I have not, man. I really want to go. <clears throat> I haven't had an opportunity yet, and um, I think that would be super fun. I know a lot of the Stone Glacier guys they they hunt them with bows, and I think that would be a super super fun time too. Um, but I would love to go goat hunting with a rifle. Um, it's, it seems like it's kind of reminiscent of, of, uh, of Africa hunting where you're, you know, you're just, you're just covering a tremendous amount of ground trying to locate a herd. And then once you locate that herd, you, you make your stock. Yeah. It, that, that, I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. And it's a lot lower, you know, obviously a lot, um, it's not as stressful. Um, right. and, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, we jumped in, in, in a truck and decided to uh, uh, cruise over to um, the area out here. And um, I actually passed on a really nice buck. Uh, we we stalked him, spooked him. He, he probably pushed. And um, so we, we kind of uh, hooked around some micro terrain and, and we were able to get within 350 of his herd. And I uh, set up on, on, on the side of a hill. And... Um, he, he was, um, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if I was like looking for, um, uh, something bigger or I was just like, all right, let me, let me see if, if like I can actually just have myself pass on something. Um, so <laughs> he, and like, you know, not, not shoot at the first thing that I, that I saw. So, um, you know, I, I was able to see when they're 350, I was with Clay, uh, Clay and my buddy, Michael. And, um, by the time he pushed to like 350 at a perfect shot and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to pass. And, um, we ended up, uh, just moving to a, a different spot completely. And, uh, we just saw this lone, um, antelope, the one that I just shot, uh, by himself, uh, by some cows. And one thing that, um, I liked about him was that his cutters were just super high and, uh, he had just a little mm -hmm. bit of different character essentially. Um, so I decided to shoot him and, um, we had no wind. And, uh, so when we saw him from the road, we were able to get, uh, probably about seven fifty, 
And um, I, again, I knew I wanted to keep it within 600. So um, stocked up to, you found a little drainage, a little creek bed and was able to kind of stock to him and got to about 500 of, of him. And uh, again, no winds. I was shooting uh, the 6.5 PRC, 147 ELEMs. And um, there was a bunch of like just low sagebrush, so I had to get off my belly. And uh, I ended up shooting him from uh, a high kneeling tripod. Um, but uh, man, I, I was super impressed with how those 147s performed on him, especially at that distance. The first time I shot the 147s on an antelope, and I, I think I shot it a little further back than I wanted to, on my first time, but this time, I mean, I just straight up blew out the front shoulder. And one of the things that Clayton and I, and especially Clayton, who's been doing a lot more um, vigilantly than I have, has been uh, taking pictures and stuff like that uh, of the mm -hmm. uh, post. Um, so yep. he, he wants to actually do an article for the network about his findings this season, uh, like terminal performance, uh, you know, shot placement, pull selection, and kind of the, what has happened. So um being able to process obviously you know my own meat and and seeing how um that has been has been essentially really rewarding for me this this season especially with all my family here um you know my mom's been really making some bomb ass antelope dishes uh but she was able nice. to kind of see, see that process right um and really kind of immerse ourselves into the whole wyoming lifestyle that's awesome man that's cool that's that's good stuff um it's it's hard i my goal is to get a um i want to get a chest refrigerator because i also want to be able to process my own meat um because you know it's there is that there's this that's part of the experience right um but our our seasons here in washington have just gotten it's so it's so warm that you can't let an animal hang so you got to be able to refrigerate it. And um, I need to get a big chest refrigerator because um, that way it'll allow me to have more time um, to set up and get it all processed and, and do and, and have the assembly line. Because I, I grew up doing that. I grew up working um, as a teenager in a deer processing shop in, a, in town. And in Western New York, we went through a lot of deer. There is um, a shitload of deer in Western New York. So... Um, I learned, I learned a lot about butchering, um, at a young age and, um, learned a lot about, you know, how to efficiently get that job done. And so I'd really love to be able to get back to doing that. And, um, not only that, but show my son because Luke has really started to show a tremendous amount of interest in hunting this year. And, um, he, uh, we've, we've had it, we've had a very interesting summer and fall, um, in terms of our family dynamic and it prevented us from doing a lot of the activities that we normally do. And so um, the focus needed to be elsewhere. And um, that's what we had to do this season. So, but he just, he just showed a tremendous amount of interest. We went out and uh, did a day trip with some friends um, on the last couple of days of our general deer season here with a rifle. And um, he spotted his first big game animal all by himself. He spotted a really nice six by six by six bull about 950 yards away. He, he like jumped out of his skin when he saw it in his binos. And, you know, he's just, he was like, dad, it's, it's something brown and it's got huge horns, you know, and he's just jumping up and down. And, and uh, I was like, ah, let's see what you got. And I 
looked through his glass, and sure enough, man, there's this bull walking through the timber. I was like, dude, good job, man. That's awesome. So uh, we had a good day out there. It was fun, um, and he had a good experience. And it was a good. Uh, it was an, a location that I didn't really know about um, that held a lot of animals, actually. And I was kind of surprised. We saw a lot of deer, uh, no bucks. We saw a lot of does. Um, but even though there's pressure there, it seemed like, um, it, it seemed like there were still animals and I had just started to learn that country. So I'm going to take some more time to do that. Cause it's literally right in our backyard, which is really nice. It's, um, you know, I could be there in 40 minutes. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's really, really close. So, um, that's good for, that's good for the kids. Um, because like you said, when it comes to hunting, when you, you can go out there and have those experiences where, um, one year, uh, I was hunting in the blues and we got a really good cold snap in October and it looked, and then our rifle season got pushed back a week. Um, and so, you know, locally we were like, Oh, cool, man. If we get good cold weather, we might actually be able to hunt, um, the, the very front part of the rut with a rifle, which is obviously ideal. Um, and if we get snow, that's even better. But, um, so on opening day, uh, sitting out there, um, you've been to the spot where I've, where I, where this transpired, (laughs) this, uh, this doe came running up out of the bottom, just, just panting tongue hanging out of her mouth. And it was just like, Whoa. And she stopped like 50 yards in front of me. And, um, I was super surprised. I wasn't expecting to see that that early, but it was like, okay, well, that's a sign that the ruts kicked off. And sure enough, like, I don't know, four minutes, five minutes later, uh, the buck comes up the bottom following her and he's just worn out. His neck's all swollen. He's a good 25 inch wide four by four, nice mature buck, uh, for that region. And, and I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Seeing deer, like this is at seven 45 in the morning on opening day. And I'm like, man, there's going to be deer running around all over the place. We got weather coming. This is going to be a banner season. So guess what, bud? you get to live. He goes and chases the doe into the timber behind me and you never to be seen again. I went another eight days without seeing another deer. I mean, elk everywhere. There's elk all over the place in there, but I went another eight days because our season's 10 days long without seeing a deer (laughs) on the very last day, the last four hours of the day, I found a buck and I, and I got him killed but it was just like, and then then on top of it, you got really nasty weather that you're dealing with. It's cold, it's rainy, it's just not, it's, you know, it's hunting. But when you're not seeing animals and it's like day after day after day of not seeing an animal, um, but you know, you just got to put your time in, you know, they're there and you just got to figure out where they are. You got to cover the ground. You got to stay disciplined. You have to stay, you have to stay focused and uh, you got to understand that that's hunting and you're hunting in this big, massive open area of land and you're looking for, you know, a very specific target. So it's all about just under, it's about loving the process is really what it is at the end of the day, just like everything else. I think it is that we do with, with anything that we do, right? If you, if you really love the process, you're, you're really going to be okay with whatever the result is. Um, even with performance, you know, and that's, um, that's something that I'm really going to focus on hard, um, this year 
in in my own terms of personal development is is um, focusing my my on my process of performance. Um, but uh, yeah, you can have those those stints of hunting where you're not seeing anything, and it's just like, dude, what am I doing? <laughs> For sure. Oh man, I think uh, that was a good. That's a good transition from obviously the the talks about hunting to a, a, you know performance with a rifle and and lately, I mean because it is hunting season, um, I haven't shot much at all really. Um, with uh, maybe I like I haven't shot much with intention if that makes sense the intention for myself sure. to to train to uh either sustain my skill sets or um to um you know do it to advance my skills uh it's something that um you know recently again with with uh just doing video pushes and, and kind of seeing the market i've been i've been noticing like okay well um there's a lot of new shooters that are coming into the sport and okay, what kind of information do they need? So, you know, when I go out to the range and I, and I do a video, like I'm doing it super slow and methodical. And, and, and I realize that like, that is not making me any better. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I'm able to explain the process and show, but for me personally and my goals of like what I want to do behind a rifle, like I haven't had time to essentially, you know, make time for myself at the range, uh, where it's like completely, right you know, pushing my thresholds, um, you know, timing out on stages or, you know, um, shooting super small targets. Uh, and granted, I know I can do these probably things with, with, uh, when it comes to, um, filming stuff. Um, but you know, I definitely enjoy, um, both aspects of like, okay, Hey, like if I'm going to do a video, I'm going to talk my process. I'm going to talk about why I'm doing it. Cause a lot of it obviously ties into, we have going on for our uh, subscribers for the modern day rifleman network. Um, but yeah, I, I've definitely been, um, slacking in the department of, um, uh, not, I was just say keeping my skills sharps, but trying to, uh, work through the pl plateau that, you know, you get when you just stop training. Right. Um, yep. and, uh, I mean my match rifle, um, that, ever since I shot my last match, uh, which was, uh, first week of September. Um, I haven't touched it since other than moving around the house. Um, and so with the finale coming up in two weeks and I know I want to start getting it, but like, I have no expectations. I mean, it, it was, it's hunting and that's the only downside to obviously when you live in Wyoming <laughs> is that like, and now that I'm in, embraced the hunting lifestyle, it's like, it's like, dude, September, October is hunting season. You know, like I can't think about anything else yep. other than going hunting. Um, yeah, it's and, it's and, your op that's the opportunity. Yeah, and and filling the tag and 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 uh, and just knowing and having the appreciation that like when I do put something down, um, like it's gonna be able to feed my family because uh, ever since they moved in, I mean they've been we've been crushing meat like we're. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, dude. It, I can it, imagine. I, I almost have to check my protein levels because it's been, it's just been absurd. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So my buddy Marty, uh, killed a moose up in Alaska. Oh, dude. Um, he, he shot a freaking dandy too. I think it was 63 inches wide uh, on a DIY hunt 
um, beautiful, you know, beautiful experience for him. Uh, he's an Alaska native and he's been away from Alaska. And this was his first real season back where he was able to kind of jump back into um, his roots of being an Alaskan. And all of my buds up there now have cubs and they're learning the backcountry flying and and um, it's going to open up a lot of a lot of opportunities in the future um, for for more adventures. And, you know, he kills this moose and, you know, he's talking about the processing and the biggest animal, <clears throat> the biggest animal that I've seen um, on the ground in front of me is either a, a big bull or like a zebra from from uh, from Africa. And zebra's a pretty big critter too, um, but uh, just witnessing the the pictures of you know butchering a bull in the field, a bull moose, that's a huge, huge, huge job. Um, you don't realize it until you actually see it, and and that happens with a lot of with elk hunters too that have never seen an elk before. The first time you walk up on a on a on a bull elk, you're just like, holy shit, that thing is huge, and we got a lot of work to do. So that's cool, man. That's super cool. Cause he's got, he, he was just like, man, oh, I got like 200 pounds of burger and I got, you know, 60 pounds of this and 70 pounds of that. I'm like, damn dude, that's a lot. That's a lot of meat. And, um, it's a, it's a great way to know that you can truly feed your family throughout that year. Um, with, with that and not have to rely on going to buy store-bought meat. I think that's just awesome. Dude, especially with with uh, the prices of like everything going up right now, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yep. The last three grocery runs that I've been on have been more than like none of them have been under a hundred dollars. It's outrageous. Oh, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. not even buying freaking meat. Right. Yeah, that's like milk, and well, milk is what milk's up to if you buy an or if you have if you buy an organic half gallon of milk it's seven bucks yeah. six bucks oh, yeah i mean i mean i yeah it's pretty insane dude like a hundred bucks nowadays is pretty much like 10 bucks when we were kids you know it's it's just the it's a bizarre way of looking at it you know a hundred bucks is like yeah a hundred bucks so okay uh, i've been wanting to ask you just because I want to see if you're seeing the same thing I, I'm seeing or maybe are just attentions elsewhere. What, but like, what's new with like, what's new with precision rifle shooting? <laughs> what's like, what's, trend- what's new? Like what's trending right now? Um, I don't really, th- I don't really see anything trending. Um, I, I don't really see anything trending other than like amp annealing neck tension graph photos all over the internet. Um, but other than that, I don't really see a whole lot trending. Um, maybe the algorithms are changing on social media and you know, you're, you're seeing different things, but obviously it's hunting season, right? And a lot of people are focused on that, but you know, Hornady just dropped a bunch of new products today, which I think are freaking badass. Um, I know everybody's going to hate on the seven PRC, you know, if you, if you're hating on a, on a seven millimeter, um, that's shooting 180 grain bullets at 2950 feet a second from the factory um like just reevaluate your priorities man that's a fantastic cartridge and um i think it fit uh uh, i think it fit a needed uh, a needed gap with uh with that product line and to see that come to fruition that's awesome because 
it excited me because as a seven psalm shooter, now I can back my seven psalm down to 160 grain class projectiles, speed them up, have lighter recoil, and now I've got you know a six and a half millimeter short action magnum, and then I got a seven millimeter short action magnum, um, and it's going to be hard. Now it's going to be hard to choose the, between the two, right? Um, because they're both going to have relatively similar performances. And then now you have a long action seven millimeter that you can shoot 180 grain bullets um, out of factory with factory ammunition offering. That's badass. You know, that's that's awesome. And we know that that ammunition is going to shoot really well because like we've always discussed, the, the Hornady's 140 grain match ammunition is essentially like turned into Federal's gold medal match for the 308. So like if your gun doesn't shoot that Hornady match ammo, there's something wrong with it. We got to get it fixed. So um, that was cool. Um, we got a couple of those precision scales from Hornady uh, that we're gonna that we're gonna test out. Um, I haven't I haven't actually used mine yet, but what I will say is what I have been using is that dual um, Charge Master Pro from Hornady, and that thing is awesome. Those two things are awesome. They throw very consistent charges, and they're they're quick. And I really can't see, so I loaded, I loaded 20 rounds from my FX120i auto trickler setup, and I loaded 20 rounds um, with the AB um, Hornady auto loader or auto charge thrower, and there was no difference in this in the extreme spreads. There was no difference in any of the data. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, what's there to worry about now? Hey, we need to worry about shooting because that's all that's under control that we've already got that figured out. So that's kind of cool to know because that's a great, um, that's a great low price point precision um, charge throwing system that you can get a dual and you can load that much faster, which makes a huge difference, especially if you're on a progressive press. Man, there's so much, there's so much, not just buzz out there, but there's been so much, not information, but, there's been a lot of like over analysis like with reloading and shooting and it's like you guys stick to the basics, man, you know, like <laughs> stick to the basics, dude, you know, like it, it, <laughs> the factory ammunition rifles um, that you can buy off the shelf are so damn accurate that it's going to take you, it's going to take you literally burning out that barrel or the amount of money that you're going to spend by uh, putting reps in by shooting a bunch of ammo mm -hmm. before you even mm -hmm. start to see a difference in your shooting ability yeah. to shoot the difference. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's, it's really important that you, that even with factory guns that you've been doing a lot of shooting with factory guns, um, as long as that thing going back to the circle of components right so as long as you're you're not expecting more than what your rifle can is capable of giving you and then you have it fit to you properly which we just did a little video in the modern day rifleman network on um if the thing is fit to you properly and it is accurate the only thing that you need to be worrying about now is your shooting abilities yeah so it's it's like before you dive into, you know, reloading or 
you know, whatever it is you're going to dive into, uh, aside from obviously shooting a precision rifle, just figure out your why, figure out like what your mm-hmm. intention is. If, if it's to lo- learn the process of by all means. Right. Um, but you know, it, it don't paralyze yourself with all the information that's that's getting flooded out there with you know people's social medias and and whatnot that it doesn't allow you to do anything you know what i mean like yeah find one person that you that you trust and you know figure out their loading style and and learn that Mm -hmm. right and then once you know you figure you got that down and you're like oh how can i squeeze another one percent out of it that's when you start tinkering around right but like Right. If you're not at that level yet, worry about putting more reps in at the range. Worry about putting mm-hmm. more reps in at, you know, building your position off your belly. Because if it, for, you know, I'm talking about for more practical shooters, because like if you, if you saw the <laughs> SDs and ESs that I made for this 147 load, and I wasn't, I was like, I'm just going to take this, whatever. I mean, I put that bullet exactly where I wanted to maybe a little further mm-hmm. to the right than I wanted to, but elevation wise, you know, and, um, just noise. Yeah. Because everything's getting to the point now with regard to, um, consistency in ammunition, the consistency in manufacturing, uh, with, with components for your rifle actions and barrels, muzzle devices, um, scopes now are very reliable and um you know the the hand loading aspect of things we t- i talk about this i talked about this with a couple of friends of mine it's like you know back back when i started shooting practical rifle competitions in uh, the early 2000s you know the practical guys would would look at the bench rest dudes that are shooting the six brs um and all those wildcat cartridges with 25 plus pound rifles you know, everybody would scoff at those dudes. Um, but now we're doing the same thing. We're using the same cartridges, uh, in rifles that weigh 25 plus pounds. Um, and it's like a cycle, right? It just, it just comes right back around. Um, and everybody's like trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to loading for a six BR. It's like, well, dude, those bench rest dudes had that shit figured out, you know, 40 fucking years ago. And you only would know about that information, though, if you were in that circle, because we weren't in the information age yet. So the only way that you would learn about what what are the nuances of loading a 6BR variant cartridge? Well, you'd have to be in that little network of, of, of shooters that shot that cartridge. Because or else there was, you know, or there was a magazine article or something like that. So... Um, another interesting point was um, a, a guy brought it up... Uh, uh, Nate, uh, the Nate Humbard, the guy who helps, helps me out here at the range. Um, he lives over across, uh, the Valley from, from me. And, uh, he was a student of ours long, long, long time ago, like 12 years ago. And, uh, he's an avid rifleman and he was just asking me a question about like, Hey, where did, um, where did we get away from vetted information? And it was a rhetorical question because it was just like, well, I mean, obviously the internet age, right? So back in the day before the age of the internet, the only way that you were going to get information about these, uh, these topics was a magazine. 
uh, a magazine article. And so the publisher of the magazine was the gatekeeper of whether or not, you know, that author of the article had credibility. And where did the credibility come from? Well, a network of individuals um, that know each other. Well, then, yeah, that individual says, okay, cool. He's vetted. Let's publish that article, right? It's not that way anymore. Anybody can publish anything anywhere about anything right? And people are going to consume the information. And it's difficult to know what, where that source came from, and whether or not it's vetted. And I don't think and I know that that kind of teeters on the aspect of arrogance in some ways. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, you just have to be able to sift through that information. Um, and that takes time, that takes a lot of time, which is really why we developed the modern day rifleman network anyways. But, um, you know, the vetting of information, and having it out there so that way like you can sift through the buzz right and go okay what's what's the real what's the fluff where's all the fluff at and then let me get to the meat of what it is that i'm looking for yeah i think um if definitely if if you want to you know if you want to learn from the best obviously you you got to figure out who the, who the best shooters are um and, and stay in that in that in that realm, right? Um, you see what they're doing, their practices and, and reloading and 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 uh, cleaning and stuff like that. But if you just want to learn how to shoot long range and get into it and get your feet wet and understand, like, hey, these are the circle of components, and just build a foundation of like what really matters. Don't, don't paralyze yourself by over consuming stuff that doesn't matter. Right. Right. Find a, a reputable teacher. I'm not going to say instructor, but a teacher in this space that, um, is there with your best interest of just communicating information. That's not trying to sell a product. Mm -hmm. That's not trying mm -hmm. to sell you on some super high speed way of doing things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like, Hey, these are, this is what matters when it comes to shooting a precision rifle. You got high quality components, right. you mount your shit, right. You set your rifle up correctly. You understand where natural point of aim is, trigger control, breathing, keeping your face on the gun. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Really? I mean, and then, understanding how once once you establish those uh those connections and you're and you're doing that stuff subconsciously then you can start adding more stuff to the layers yep um and i think that's lost in translation um you know we're uh, just talking about hand loading you know sending you a message and being like hey man four mistakes four common mistakes that that hand loaders are, are making and I think that a lot of times with the information age, um, these techniques, everything st starts to get watered down and people kind of lose vision of what the actual end goal is. And I'm, I'm writing an article right now for the network, same kind of concept with, you know, your four mistakes of, of rifle setup. Um, I think this stuff is, is important because as we see this information age continue to grow and social media continues to grow, um, getting back to the basics of like you and I both know that there's really no such thing between a basic shooter and an advanced shooter. There's really not. 
it's it's taking the same set of skills and um adding more problems to the mix yep. and saying okay well you have now this problem to solve and this problem happens to be you have 60 less seconds to complete this much work how are you going to do that okay well now i have to streamline my process i have to analyze how am i getting from point a to point b and so just things like that where that's what separates the difference between a basic level shooter and an advanced level shooter skills are the same it's just how fast are you processing and how much capacity do your does your mind have to problem solve under um whatever conditions presented to you so and that's really like that's where my focus wants to be this year um i really want to focus on that um you know like I've been, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast and a really, really tumultuous, um, summer and fall. And my focus needed to be elsewhere in, in order for me to be able to be present, um, here for, for all of our listeners and all of our viewers and followers. Um, I just needed to be, I needed to focus my efforts on, uh, on my family. So I am rusty and I really have a desire to get back to, because this is my passion. It is a passion and I want to continue to push the envelope of what I'm capable of. And I want to do that in, and the crazy thing is I want to do that in all aspects of my life. Like I want to do it skydiving. I want to do it climbing. Um, I want to do it hunting. I want to do it um, with a precision rifle. I want to be a, it's like the, you know, you want to do all of these things, but you end up being a jack of all trades, but yet a master of none. But it's like, okay, well, how far can I push the envelope of being a jack of all trades and how good can I be at all of these things? And can I achieve, and can you achieve mastery in all of those things at once? Um, I don't know. It'd be, it's going to be cool to find out because I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked to get, um, to really truly put a plan in place um, and work off of that plan. So that's that's one of my major goals for this upcoming season. After watching 14 Peaks, nothing is impossible, bro. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Dude, such a good that, movie. Was, that was an insane documentary. I, and uh, I was just like, man, I'm over here complaining about 8,000 feet. This dude <laughs> climbed up 14, 8,000 meter peaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and just to like having been to that region of the world and lived and lived in that region it is so austere it is so savage um and to know like you have to be so climatized not only for the altitude but just the environment itself um like going back from going from that high alpine you know eighteen thousand feet back down to the place like uh, even Kathmandu. Kathmandu is at about 4,000 feet. But just the difference in uh, the density of the air and the humidity levels. Um, and to be able to, to do that over and over and over again in such a compressed amount of time, dude, your body has to be completely accustomed to that or you're going to get sick. Your body can't handle that, that massive uh, drastic change in exposure levels to those conditions. It's pretty insane up there. Um, very majestic it's different planet it's like well i mean it is a different part of the planet but it just seems like you're on a different planet up there it's so it's so barren 
Uh, man, what do we got coming up? We got some, we got some, we got some stuff dropping. We got some classes. It's been, again, it's been a, ba- a busy couple months. Um, hunting season. Uh, you, you know, you've you've had a lot going on with your family, uh, but uh, November's right around the corner. Uh, we've got Pig River, yep, got Pig uh, River. again. This is going to be our third year. Love coming to that range. Um, we still got slots available for uh, advanced competition clinic positional sold out, which is awesome. Thank you guys. Um, and, yeah, thank and, you guys. We got a wait list going for that one too. And then um, after advanced competition, uh, I think you and I um, have uh, the rest of November, December uh, from un- not traveling, and then. Uh, Altus mm-hmm. in January, and hopefully some some military yep. contracts uh, in mid mid January during Shot Show, um, and then yep. you've got Volusia County in February, and then we are mm-hmm. still kind of prepping our or ironing out our uh, first quarter twenty twenty three season yeah. uh, with regards spring, to the in person uh, in person classes. Uh, but stay tuned for, um, experiences, some experiences that Kaylin and I've been talking about for the last couple of years of, of like, of like literally, you know, living the whole sniper lifestyle in five days, land navigation, stalking, it'll be fun, man. It'll be a good time. Uh, so if you guys are interested in that, it's going to be, it's going to be an experience like Phil said. So if you guys, if, as you're listening, if you're interested in that, shoot us an email at info at modern day sniper.com and say, Hey, I'm interested in this experience that you guys are talking about. Cause we just kind of want to test the waters and see, um, you know, see what interest levels are looking like. Um, and then really um i'm excited for this uh master class this tripod i know we've been talking about it for years um but we finally put pen and paper to um the the outline and i mean even as we were developing the outline we were starting to pull all these other different um not crazy ideas but like hey we we should talk about this right because these are specific Mm -hmm. points and aspects of tripods you know, selecting a tripod or, or comparisons of that, like no one else has not only no one else has done, but like is you need to consider, right. It's just like, I mean, mm-hmm. a tripod nowadays, is like buying a rifle, right. There's, there's mm-hmm. more than one specific to the application, but you, you have to understand exactly what you need it for. Right. So that you can maximize the use for that tripod system and that you know what you're getting. Right. Uh, yep. there's no surprises. And then ultimately after you figure out, Hey, this is the tripod that I want, how to shoot off it. And I think that's, you know, uh, what I'm mostly excited for is, is, is essentially, um, taking the techniques that has evolved throughout the years that you have and I have been, and, and pretty much, you know, I've learned from you in a way because, you know, what you taught eventually taught, you know, your junior Marines, which became my seniors. Right. And, uh, now we've completely, foregone that system it's a cool evolution yeah you know it's just evolution of skills um and techniques and i'm super pumped to do the to do this this master class we haven't we haven't done one and um i think this is going to be our best one yet just because of the um the ability to bounce those ideas back and forth uh and to and to work together to create this thing because i think it's going to be um it's going to be pretty comprehensive as with the, all the rest of our master classes, but it's going to be kind of like a, 
a dual umbrella. Hey man, this is all things tripods. Oh yeah. So that's, that should be dropping a couple months guys. Hopefully in December. Yeah. Hopefully December. Um, we're getting to that time of year where, where filming can be challenging. Um, you know, when it's, when it's blowing, you know, 20 miles an hour plus, it makes it really difficult to, to keep cameras still. It makes it really difficult to get sound the way you want it. Um, and, and then shooting off a tripod sure. in general in, in, and, yeah. <laughs> in the wind. <laughs> it's just not, that's not easy to do either. So we want to give you guys a good representation of what's, um, you know, what are sight pictures, what are, what are sight pictures capable of looking like under, um, you know, ideal conditions. So that way you have a baseline to generate, to, to, to say, okay, where am I at with regard to my stability? And I, this course is going to have a lot of that in it, especially with, um, the advent of the trigger cam, um, and just some, some more, you know, some more filming techniques that we've been learning along the way that Philip's been passing on to me. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a cool production. So what do you think that's going to be packaged around? Just ballpark. I've gotten a couple questions about that. Oh man, it'll probably be, you know, I think why you got to put me on the spot on the internet and stuff with everybody like trying to figure out our pricing structure. <laughs> uh, it'll probably be about 300 bucks. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's a $300 product for sure with the amount of information that's in there. Um, and the, and the balance, um, obviously as more of these courses come to play or come into the mix, you know, it kind of evens out the pricing structure. And, um, you know, I've seen a couple of master classes just for, you know, I've, I've taken a couple of master classes or supposed master classes, which is kind of the same system that we've been utilizing, which is, you know, four to five hours worth of content. And the amount of money that other people outside of our industry are charging for the level of quality is insane in terms of the delta between the two like you know the information is there the, the quality of the information is there but then just the production value um for the for the cost like one of them is like 550 bucks and i started to watch it um to learn about some things that i needed to learn about and it was just like well man you know for what you're charging the quality just needs to be elevated or either that or we're not charging enough money but I think as the as the market balances itself out, I think that we want to make our we want to make our information more accessible to people. So the price point is not out the, the price point's not outrageous. It's completely reasonable for the product and the production value could because we want to make sure that you guys have a really good experience with not only consuming the information but making sure that um, it's visually uh, appealing. So that way you can tap into that ability to learn that way, which I think is really important. Agreed. Yeah, no, it, it's, so. it's, um, the, the more I dive into, um, like not full scale production, but you know, the videography and, 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 and I mean, I enjoy the process, right. I enjoy, um, being able to, to build a story of long range shooting, and deliver it in a package that is, um, uh, digestible. Um, and then obviously pleasing to watch. Right. Uh, because mm -hmm. unless you're there actually doing a long range, like it's pretty boring to watch. It's pretty boring to watch someone, right. 
you know, it's like golf, you know what I mean? Um, but like our, all of our in, in-person classes, I mean, all the students are, everything's lit. I'm going to use my millennial term there because like we're teaching a class and immediately boom, go out and we, we, uh, we, we test it. We practice, we, uh, mm-hmm. apply it. Uh, whereas like, you know, when you're, when you're doing an online class, it, it's hard to, to consume the information and, and then go to the range, especially like if you don't have the range easily accessible, if it's, you know, you're watching on a weekday and stuff like that. And, and lately I've, I've, I've found myself, uh, over consuming information that paralyzes me. And I'm just like, dude, I'm just going to go do it. Right. Um, right. Uh, because doing it by doing it more, you just start to become obviously better at it. And, you know, you just gotta mm-hmm. get your, re- you just, I just gotta get my reps in, uh, right. and, and stuff like that. So don't paralyze yourself. Yeah. That's for sure. And a lot of people are like we talked about earlier in this, in the episode, there, there are a lot of people that are doing that. And it's, I think it's because there is so much information out there. People are just, they read it, they read so much and they're just like, Oh shit. What, what if, what if that's wrong? Right. So, and what if this dude's information is, what if that's, what if that's wrong too? And then you just get, like you said, paralyzed. So, um, because I think also a lot of people that are in our, in our sport are very analytical thinkers right and so as an analytical thinker um you know you you automatically go to overthinking things um and this like philip was saying earlier this is a very simple this is very simple when it comes down to the equipment um and you don't have to you don't have to go to the such great lengths anymore to get really high quality equipment that's going to really allow you to just focus on shooting um and as long as you set it up properly and as long as you put it together properly, um, it's very simple to do if you have basic understanding of hand tools. So just shoot more, shoot more and post less. Yeah. Shoot more and consume less. Yeah. Shoot more and consume less. So yeah. cool. Well, man, it was good catching yeah, up. Good. Um, it, it really was, dude. It was. I, I know. So, uh, I know. Uh, a lot of guys uh, always message me and like, man, you guys have died. Uh, but hey, a lot, of, a lot, a lot's going on, you know. Um, and, and like you said, uh, Kalen, in the middle of the podcast, like, hey, you know, um, uh, we want to be able to show up for you guys, right? Um, in in the right headspace and and stuff like that. Uh, to make sure that we're delivering the best content that we can and that we're not just, you know, uh, throwing shit out there to throw shit out there, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's going to be a good headspace hub episode this month. Um, because I kind of want to talk about, I want to talk about that and, and understand or try to try to communicate my thought process behind that because, um, you know, if you're, if you're showing up with all of that other garbage in the peripheral, um, you're, you're not being authentic because it's, you can't, you can't just shut it off uh, because it's still there, right? It's still there. You have to deal with it. So I think that's going to be a really good headspace hub lesson. Um, just, uh, as a, just as a discussion as what most of them turn into being, um, which we get a lot of, we, we get a lot of traction on anyways. So, that's what we're going to discuss, I think, in that Headspace Hub, and it's important. But, um, no, this is a very good catch-up podcast, man. Um, I've got some more content coming for you guys on terms of uh, the hand-loading stuff. 
that's kind of one of my things um, that I like to kind of geek out on. I did some load development for my seven psalm shooting 162 ELDXs for this hunting season that I wanted to talk to you guys about. So um, I might just do a, I might just do kind of like a live podcast, uh, do a live stream and talk about the target and talk about the optimal charge weight um, process that I use and kind of help, um, you know, maybe give some people some direction as to like, cause a lot of questions I get are people saying, Hey, what should I do with this load? Like there's seven or eight groups on the paper and, and I have no idea what it is that, that went on to produce those groups. So I really difficult for me to help you. Um, and there's so many different thought processes out there with load development. So that's something that I want to bring to the table, uh, generating some more articles in the network. And, you know, we're just rebuilding steam. And for those of you guys, um, hey, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to, we're back. We're going to be producing more podcasts and more content overall. Um, it's just uh, when it's literally it's three people. <laughs> just to remind you guys one more time, it's three people. It's me, it's Philip, and it's my wife, Cass. Um, and uh, right now I got little Luke helping out doing some stuff with the shop um, for t-shirts and hats and whatnot. But, um, you know, when, uh, we haven't, we're, we're working on scaling. Let's put it that way. We're working on scaling. Cool. Well, all right, man. Um, everyone that yeah. is, uh, tuning in, appreciate, especially guys that are in the, the modern day rifleman network and, and a part of our uh, community. Thanks for being a part of our community. Thanks for being patient with us. Every one of our listeners, uh, thanks for, I mean, we're coming up on three years of the podcast, close to three quarter million downloads, which is awesome. Um, yeah. you know, but, Thank uh, you guys so much. It's so cool. You know, obviously the goal is to be as consistent as we can, but uh, like Kalen said, we want to make sure we show up for you with you guys. Um, so that we're not just, you know, throwing shit out there to make it stick, but, uh, appreciate you guys listening and appreciate you guys supporting modern day sniper in the podcast. And, uh, you guys know the drill, keep your face on the gun. Right on guys till next time. Deuces. <laughs>